The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome to Voice America. My name is Mary Woods and I'm your host today. And we are going to be talking about um, schizophrenia and how people can recover from it and that there is a journey of recovery for folks that have severe mental illness. And I'm very pleased to introduce our guest, Bill McPhee, who is the founder and CEO of Magpie Media Incorporated and publishes the award-winning Canadian magazine, um, SZ Magazine. It's a quarterly magazine intended to offer encouragement and information to people affected by schizophrenia. In June 2003, he launched the U.S. version of the magazine. He also travels throughout North America sharing his story and inspiring others in their recovery journey. Um, Bill lives in Fort Erie, Ontario, with his wife and three children, which is near Niagara Falls, for those of you who don't know where Fort Erie is. Um, Bill, thank you so much for spending this hour with us. Thanks for having me, Mary. Um, you know, I, I guess I'd like to begin by dispelling some misconceptions that people have about schizophrenia, because the image that we see in on television and in the mm-hmm. movies, it's, it's one of someone who is almost... Um, in isolation from society, they're often perceived as or as as the as the criminal, or or the person that's the. Um, I know uh, one of our participants went and saw X Men, the latest X Men movie, and and the, one of the villains had a mental illness, and his name was the same name as the person in our program, and he said I had to leave the movie because it just uh, I just felt so bad. So yeah. I just would like some of your thoughts on all that. Right, that's that's uh, that's too bad. That's really uh, sad when we hear that. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, schizophrenia uh, has many many misconceptions, and probably the most common one is that uh, schizophrenia people are, have the Jekyll and Doctor Hyde kind of thing, the multiple personality, uh, two people, and, and all that. And that that's not uh, that's not true at all. The word schizophrenia actually means split from reality. Uh, the, that's what schizophrenia is. It's split from reality, where 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 the word is called, uh, is split mind, and that's where people get the get the uh, the mix up from. When it was coined by Eugene Bueller, um, he called it schizophrenia, which means uh, split mind, when in fact it means split from reality. But really, uh, Mary, I think I'd like to start and just kind of define what what schizophrenia is for a lot of people who who don't understand it. And and basically, there's there's three legs to schizophrenia, uh, is where there's a genetic component involved, 
where it uh, runs in families a lot of times, mental illness. Just like, uh, you know, maybe diabetes runs in a family or heart disease runs in a family or cancer runs in a family. A lot of times mental illness can run in families. And so there's a genetic component to it as well. There's a biochemical component, which means in, in the brain there's certain chemicals and receptors and neurotransmitters and all that. And they think that, you know, messages get across, uh, get mixed up and, and get uh, uh, out of whack. And then thirdly, there's always a stressor, a stressor to the illness where there's a triggering of it, and that could be street drugs or somebody maybe gone through in a divorce or something, or somebody maybe first year in college or university and under a lot of stress, and what happens is that that, that shows up. And also, schizophrenia is known as youth's greatest disabler. And the reason for that is because usually it hits between the ages of, say, uh, you know, 15 and 25. There's always exceptions to that, but that's usually the rule. And, uh, you know, schizophrenia uh, basically has what's known as positive symptoms and negative symptoms. And when I say that, I don't mean positive as being good or negative being bad. Basically what it is, Mary, is that Um, Positive symptoms are symptoms that are added to our personality that shouldn't be there. Things like hearing voices, uh, having delusions or illusions and hallucinations. Um, We see colors brighter. uh, We see colors in light. Our sense of hearing is more acute. Our sense of smell is heightened. These things are added to the personality, so they're known as positive symptoms, as well with... uh, with uh, negative symptoms are also called deficit symptoms, and these symptoms are symptoms that are lacking from our personality that should be there. For example, we may have a lack of motivation, a lack of drive, a lack of energy. We have an emotional bluntness, an emotional blandness. Uh, you know, depression can set in, and that's really what schizophrenia is. And 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 the treatment for schizophrenia in most cases. Symptoms can be controlled, with, the positive symptoms can be controlled with medication, but what's really debilitating as well are those deficit or the negative symptoms. And that's a great um, definition uh, of, of schizophrenia, and I think that for um, at least back when I was in nursing school, when somebody um, was given the diagnosis of schizophrenia, um, it was seen as a chronic debilitating disease. There wasn't um, a lot of talk about recovery. And could you speak to that? Oh, absolutely. Um, Absolutely, Mary. Uh, In the past, I mean, we have to realize that psychiatry is really a a relatively uh, young field. I mean, medications have only been in play since, uh, you know, the 1960s. And what actually happened is that years and years ago, um, people with mental illness used to be put in institutions and literally they would be in there for for life. They'd bring their suitcases and they'd put the suitcases up in the attic, they'd be in the institution and never to come out again. Well, what happened is that when you had people in institutions, they would develop uh, physical ailments, say appendicitis or something, and they'd have to have their appendix out and when they were under anesthesia, uh, you know, when they're under sedative to put themselves out for the for the operation.
operation, they found when the patients awoke and were, were after the operation, some of their symptoms uh, had disappeared. And so what that did is that that got them into thinking that uh, medication in the tranquilizing uh, effect will help people with schizophrenia and, and different other mental illnesses. But what happened is that so all the medication that was developed were in the tranquilizing family and it became where very, you know, we see people walking around like zombies or very isolated or chemically controlled. And that's because the old medications were done in, were done in, um, um, in the old, in the old tranquilizing family. Today we have newer and better uh, medication that's not in the tranquilizing family and, and which helps control symptoms a lot better than the old medication. So that's a little bit how medications were developed. So how would, um, how would people begin to look for signs of um, schizophrenia in their loved one or maybe even in themselves if, if they're listening? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of times with schizophrenia, it comes on uh, two ways. There's called a acute psychosis, which means that symptoms relatively uh, come across very quickly, and there's a drastic change in a person. Like, for example, in my case, um, I was uh, very delusional. Within six months, I became very delusional, very paranoid. Um, I was, you know, basically walking down the street uh, naked, underneath a street light, uh, light naked. So there, obviously, people thought that, obviously, something is wrong here. You know, there's a man here naked under the street light kind of thing. There's something definitely wrong. So that was an abrupt thing in, in my life. However, we can have slow onset schizophrenia as well, which may not be diagnosed for years and years because, say, a teenager or something is maybe isolated in their parents' basement and, you know, they, they don't come out and they may be odd. But parents may think that person's going through a phase or they're experimenting with drugs or they really don't know what going, what, what's going on because the, the changes are so, so slightly and drastic and they just really don't understand. So that's a difficulty. And so when somebody has an acute psychosis or comes on quickly, the, the illness, um, it, you, you, there's definitely changes that people recognize in you. And then when uh, the slow onset can come on gradually, uh, depending on, uh, on the situation. Um, which, which type did you experience? Yeah, I experienced the acute psychosis. So within six months of, of my breakdown, um, you know, certain symptoms started to happen where for me, I would be, uh, my first symptoms started when um, I would wake up at 2, 3 in the morning and, and uh, my, my sleeping pattern changed. I'd phone in sick to work. I wouldn't go into work. And I would be reading, uh, I would be reading uh, scripture and I actually saw words off the page would actually float up off the page and expand and contract. And uh, then soon after that, paranoia set in and, and I was very, very delusional and then delusion set in and things like that. It was very, very quickly, but very, very, uh, uh, you know, I didn't realize something was happening, something was, was going on with me. I thought something special was happening and I was having something supernatural that God was communicating with me and it was uh, in a very abrupt uh, short period of time that my symptoms came up. And were you able to get into treatment immediately? Well, you know what? What happened is uh, probably those six months uh, developed where I was doing weird behavior and weird things. And it wasn't until, you know, it was January 1987 at the age of 24 
uh, one of the coldest nights of the year, uh, I was uh, naked and on the street, and so picked up by the police and brought to the uh, psych ward and um, began treatment there. But at that point, you see, when I was there, you would think I would say to myself, you know, Bill, obviously something is wrong here. Uh, you must be out of reality, or you know, you're having something. You must be mentally ill because you're out here in the middle of the January and the coldest night and naked. But you see, uh, Mary, the the nature of mental illness and the nature of schizophrenia is that we do not believe that we're sick. We don't believe that something is wrong with us. See, that's the big difference between physical illness and a mental illness in general. See, I could fall down and, and break my arm and my bone could be out of my my arm and bleeding, and my brain would say, oh, Bill, you have a broken arm here. You've got to get to the emergency and get a cast and get it looked at and everything like that. However, when the brain is sick, when the brain is broken, it doesn't know it's sick, and it can't tell any other part of the body that my brain is sick, and so we deny and we're out of logic, and it is very frustrating to be out of reality, and especially not knowing that we, we have an illness. We're, there's, it's called lack of insight or unaware of our illness. Um, you've written a book, To Cry a Dry Tear, and it's um, a journey of, of your uh, recovery and, and hope with schizophrenia. What made you decide to write a book? You know, it's uh, funny, Mary. I, I've always had it, uh, thinking that I wanted to write a book just because uh, I can remember even before I started my magazine, uh, I can just picture myself sitting in my, my dad's uh, uh, back room and, and thinking, you know, one day I'm going to write a book. And I had that name right there back from it to cry dry tear in my mind. And I guess it's just sort of... Uh, uh, through my public speaking, I guess. I mean, when I would go out public speaking to uh, groups and different people, I would share my story and I would share intimately um, what went on in my life and, and, and my symptoms and how it happened and, and my whole story. And many people would say, oh, you should write a book, you should write a book. So I, I did. I, I wrote a book called To Cry a Dry Tear, Bill McPhee's Journey of Hope and Recovery with Schizophrenia. And and it's uh, I really enjoyed doing that. And one of the things that is very unique about this book that you don't find in a lot of books uh, is that this book actually has all of my doctor's notes and nurse's notes when I was on the psychiatric ward. I mean, Mary, I was hospitalized six different times. I lived in three different group homes, and I had a suicide attempt. I was very, very, uh, very, very ill, and uh, part of my mantra, part of my philosophy is that I want to share with people and let people know that, yes, there is life after mental illness. And we'll be right back after this commercial to talk um, talk about more about your journey. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
Are you struggling with loss in your life? Whether it's grief, personal healing, or serious life changes that you are dealing with, tune in to Voices for Healing with host Kathy Roberts. Everything that happens to us teaches us and gives us hope and possibility. Kathy and her guest experts will bring you the tools that you need to start the healing process. There are so many ways to transform loss. Where can we take you? Listen every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Take charge of your fitness and take charge of your healthy life. Listen for Be Fit for Life with your host, Chad Austin. Think back over the past week, the past month, the past years. Are you like a lot of other people? Too busy with the kids, work, travel, social calendars, business calendars, the day, the night, this and that. Make the decision to be healthier. Just do it. Chad Austin has made a living from motivating people to stop excuses and make fitness a priority in their lives. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. And um, our, our show today, we're talking about um, the the experience of schizophrenia with Bill McPhee, who is the founder and CEO of Magpie Media Incorporated, which publishes um, SC Magazine. It's a quarterly magazine intended to offer encouragement and information to people affected by schizophrenia. He's also written a book, To Cry a Dry Tear, which is his journey of hope and recovery with schizophrenia. In our last segment, we were focusing on a little bit about, um, you know, how schizophrenia develops and what the risk factors are for um, for having schizophrenia. And before we went to break, you were telling us about the amount of treatment that you had, um, and that's pretty typical that, that people have multiple episodes of treatment. And I would just like you to share a little bit about that with our with our audience. Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, when I first entered into the uh, psychiatric ward, uh, it was through uh, being picked up by the police, and I was going down the hall of uh, the, the the ward, and uh, I was very delusional. I mean, I would see arrows. I was wondering if uh, it was something that I, I signaled to me for some reason, everything because of the paranoia. I thought there was a certain code. And anyways, I ended up jumping out of the wheelchair and running down to the end of the hall, and and basically uh, hitting an orderly, and then I got piled on in, in an injection. And uh, when I woke up 24, 48 hours later, I was in restraints and uh, in isolation. And uh, I got to tell you, when you are in a psychiatric ward, it's very, very difficult to keep track of time, very difficult. Uh, you know, you just days go by or months go by, and the, the time is very hard. But I was uh, in isolation, and I was given uh, medication, and uh, which was a good thing. And because of my delusions, I thought that, you know, I was another Christ or a prophet or something like that. So whatever they gave me, I took. 
Uh, so when they gave me medication, I would take it. I thought nothing could hurt me or anything like that. However, this is a stage that is very important, and and it's and a lot of people, a lot of times, because of whether they're hearing voices or they're paranoid, will not receive the medication. They'll spit it out or they won't take it, and uh, that's that's a hard point right there when you won't take the medication. So anyways, I took mine and uh, nothing really happened for a while. Uh, they tried different medications and all my days consisted on the psych ward is I'd just be pacing back and forth, back and forth. I'd always constantly be going into the washroom, trying to go into the washroom. I, I couldn't go, uh, different things like that. So through a different trial and error, I got put on different medication. Uh, you know, when my first medication made me so slow motion, I was like in zombie, in zombie land, just very slow motion. I can remember being out on the weekend at my brother's in-laws playing place and I was painting and I was in such slow motion I was I only did about four square feet of painting I can remember being on the hospital grounds and seeing all the cars driving by everything seemed to be so speeded up and the cars were driving so fast and I said to myself Bill you're probably never going to drive again but what happened is that after being on several medications what happened is that I slowly moved from being out of reality or in psychosis over to being right into reality. And, um, and, 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 and you think, I said, you think that's great that, you know, you, great, Bill, you're back in reality. Cause what happens that I wasn't getting any code from the TV anymore or the radio, the things I used to laugh at that I saw on TV that seemed funny. Uh, I didn't happen. The coincidences that would happen that backed up the paranoia, uh, stop. And I was totally back in reality. The thing is, though, you think you say, well, that's great. But my reality consisted when I got back to reality is that I realized that I had lost my house. I had lost my job. I had lost my financial security. Um, I had lost my friends. And I was just another one out of a 100 people with schizophrenia, uh, uh, with schizophrenia, uh, you know, like that. So even though I was back in the reality, uh, reality was, was pretty grim. You know, um, there are some people uh, who, in different parts of the world, who who recover um, from schizophrenia without medication. And I'm wondering if you've ever done any articles about that or what you know about that whole movement. Yeah, well, I think what happens is there's a couple different uh, theories. Um, a lot of times they say that people in, in third world countries or, or people in other countries fare better uh, with the illness than, say, in North America. And one of the reasons for that is that a lot of the poorer countries are agricultural co- countries. And a lot of times what happens is that in other countries they, 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 they may not be able to afford medication or it's not available, but yet they're still a, a productive unit in the community or in their in their you know in their their network and so if they're the family's an agricultural can, uh, con, uh, family and they have a farm or something even though somebody suffers with delusions or psychosis or paranoia they can still be part of that community and do their share of work because it's an agricultural uh, uh, community or country and uh, also one of the things that they say is that with schizophrenia um, a lot of times um, People who are getting older, who have been living with it for quite a while, uh, seem to get used to it or get better. Uh, and, and I think or, or the outcome is better. And the thing that happens, that my theory is that it 
just that we get so used to living with our illness that um, we get used to it, and so it doesn't seem to be quite a shock to us as when we were when we we're younger. We kind of mellow out as we as we get older. I mean, I, I'm 51 now, and I was diagnosed when I was. 24. Uh, but Mary, I just want to say that, you know, when I got back into the reality and my life was really very terrible, that's when those negative symptoms kicked in and that uh, quality of life. And I must say that I did try to go off medication as well. I mean, I think one of the statistics is that 80% of people will go off their medication at one time or another. And the reason that I went off is that I wanted to know, do I really have this illness or is it a fluke or what's going on here? And just like 80% of the of, of people with this illness, I went off my medication and uh, uh, some within six months, time um, I was I, I was I quit my job again I was walking over cars I was getting beat up over in the streets my delusions came back my turned all the furniture over my landlady's house and I spit in her TV all this kind of stuff and so that's when they said to me they said you know after I relapsed picked up by the police again and to the psych ward again they said if you want to remain in, med- uh, in reality you have to take medication and we don't trust you to take your medication so we're going to give you an injection and so I've been actually since uh, many I've been on an injectable for many many years and uh, just because I relapsed once going off I know that if I want to maintain my quality of life and to have uh, a good life, then I'm going to, re- I'm going to take uh, my, my medication, even though there may be some side effects. So um, I think I would certainly agree with you that medication is an important part of recovery. What else is important to help people recover um, Absolutely, Mary. The, 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 what I do, I have a program that I'm actually working on now. It's called the Bright Future Program. And the reason I call it the Bright Future Program is because there's a friend of mine who would visit me every single night uh, in in the hospital. And I can remember I said to Dave, I said, you know what, Dave, I said, my life is over. My life, I'll never get better. I'll never have a good quality of life. My future is, is bleak. And Dave said, Bill, you know what? He says, no. He says, Bill, you will have a bright future. And I never believed that, but uh, today I am living a bright future, and so I created, I'm in the process of creating a program called the Bright Future Program. And what it is, Mary, is basically there's six pillars, six pillars of recovery. And and let me just uh, share with you my definition of recovery. I uh, look at myself, and I consider myself a recovery expert. And my definition of recovery, and a lot of people have their own definition of recovery and, and different things. They may say whether you're working or you're stable or you're on meds, whatever. My definition of recovery, and it's not only for people with medic, with people with with mental illness, but it's also for the general population. And the definition of recovery is when you wouldn't want to be anybody else other than who you are today. And what that is, that's, uh, you know, not wanting to be anybody else but who you are today. And that's the goal with the Bright Future Program is to uh, get people to that point where they where they like themselves, where they have self-esteem and confidence. And, and there's six pillars, and the six pillars are basically spirituality is the first one, and that's recognizing a higher power, recognizing that there's a God and that God is for you and not against you. And that's where you get hope, and that's where you first get that hope that life, yes, can be better. Then there's the uh, uh, 
relationships. Uh, and relationships, the definition in relationships or the goal in relationships is to bring the best out in people and to uh, develop your social network and to develop your social network. The, the third pillar is um, family. And the definition there in family is that we want to create a sense of belonging. That's the goal in family is to create a sense of belonging. That's what we do with our children, with our spouses, with our friends. We want to create a, a sense of belonging. And then the, the, the next pillar is our mental and physical health. And with that goal, the goal there is that we should want to live as long as possible and as healthy as possible. And then you have for the the, the last, the, 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 the fifth goal or the fifth pillar is having vocation and career or uh, something to do, something to occupy your time. And, and the goal is that we should be doing something that we have passion for and something that we love. And that's the, that's the goal, to find something that we have passion for and something that we love and then really to take up your time and to to develop some skills in your life to give you a purpose in life. And then the, the last pillar is is, uh, is the finances. And the goal in finances is to um, uh, is to um, get out of debt and build wealth. And that that's the goal for finances. But I just want to tell you that that's not the definition of success. The definition of success is not uh, how much money you have in the bank or dollar signs behind your name. The definition of success is being able to do what you want to do, being able to do what you want to do. If you are, if you want to be able, if you can go to the movies with a friend every Friday night and that's what you want to do and that's what you live for, that you enjoy that, that's what you want to do, then that's fine. You successful is, is, your success is built around that. If you want to support five people in a developing world uh, who are living in poverty and that's what you want to do and that's where, where, where your passion is, then that's, that's success. That's success for you. So uh, I want to stress that is that even though our, our goal in the financial is to build wealth and get out of debt, uh, the success factor is being able to do what you want to do. So those are the six pillars of, uh, of recovery. And again, my definition of recovery is, is uh, wanting to be nobody else but who you are today. And last year in the United States, Mary, there's 32,000 people committed suicide. And you can bet that a large portion of those people uh, wish that they were probably somebody else rather than who they were at that time of when they took their life. And we'll be back to talk more about um, a brighter future with uh, Bill McPhee after this commercial. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Tune in every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill. 
Kelly covers our relationship with food and teaches us how easy eating well and living well can be. Taking us on a weekly food journey, guiding us to a more rich and vibrant life. So tune in every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for Eat Well to Live Well with Kelly Hill. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. And our guest is Bill McPhee, who is the author of To Cry a Dry Tear, which is his journey of hope and recovery with schizophrenia. Bill is also the founder and CEO of Magpie Media, which publishes um, SC Magazine, which used to be called Schizophrenia Magazine back when you first started, I believe. Um, uh, before we went on to our last commercial, you were talking about a program that, that you're trying in the beginning to develop around um, recovery, and it's called A Bright Future. And uh, could you tell us more about what's your concept of the program and how, how you plan to implement it? Sure, absolutely. Well, the Bright Future program is all about recovery. And um, one of the things that, that really what I find in, in my years of interviewing people and doing articles and, and story is that what happens is that people get stuck. People may be getting stable or they may have the support in their life and, and, and they have, they're stable and they want to move on with their life. But what happens is that, unfortunately, we get stuck. We, we, there's a, you know, like if you put your arm up and you, you hold it up high and you say, well, that's opportunity up there. Opportunity is up there. But unfortunately, we're down below uh, below the opportunity, and what's and there's a gap between where where we are below and where opportunity is, and what that and what doesn't exist in the system is the steps, the baby steps, or the steps going up to reach that. A plateau of opportunity where you can get going. An opportunity might be going back to school part time. It may be doing a part time job. It may be uh, you know doing and getting socially uh, better uh, uh, with friends and different things like that. So the Bright Future program is to try to tell people that yes, there is a you know there is a way of getting unstuck. And unfortunately, that one of the things that really happens a lot of times is that. People uh, get stuck because of self-esteem issues, and uh, like you know, we, uh, for example, self-esteem is so very important. And, and one thing that everybody who has a mental illness has in common is that we have, at one time or another, a lack of self-esteem. And self-esteem actually is is 
how we feel about ourselves on the inside. And I can remember, I can remember being at a uh, mental health association meeting and they had an architect up there and he suffered from schizophrenia. And after his talk, somebody from the audience asked him, they said, did you know you'd beat this illness? And this person said, yes, I knew I'd beat it because it's too smart for it. Well, I was in the audience and I heard that. And I said, well, Bill, there's absolutely no hope for you because you're not smart enough to beat this illness. And that's exactly what self-esteem, lack of self-esteem does, is that it, it, it gives us a negative point that we can't do anything, and that feeds into the negative symptoms and everything. So the break teacher is trying to give us a good self-esteem and, and work in practical issues. Confidence is very important, and basically confidence is, confidence is uh, basically self-esteem inside out. But confidence is being able to project their self-esteem uh, 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 publicly or on the outside, sort of project it, and that's what confidence and confidence is, and it's so very important. But I think what happens is a lot of people fail. They may have tried something. They may have tried to go back to school, or they may have tried to um, start a job, or they may have tried to go to group therapy. Different things like that, and they have failed at that. So there's so what they do is that they. They say, I give up. Uh, you know, you say, you know, John, would you like to try to do this or that? And they say, no, leave me alone. I'm fine. Or, in fact, they're, they really down deep really have dreams and want to do, have, have things to do. So what the Brave Future Program, too, is that we teach people about persistence. Persistence is so key, Mary. It, it's, uh, it's very, very important. Just to give you an example, I'm sure you probably heard of uh, Jack Canfield. Jack Canfield was the person who wrote, the, the series, The Chicken Soup for the Soul, and he went on, and there's a bunch of series of books. Anyways, they sold over, they sold like half a billion dollars worth of product um, on this series of, of The Chicken Soup for the Soul. But did you know Jack Canfield was turned down by 144 publishers? 144 publishers turned Jack Canfield down, but yet he had persistence. If you look at Edison, who wrote, you know, found a, an element to the in, in the light bulb to make a light bulb work, he tried many, many, many different things. He was persistent. If he wasn't persistent, he, you know, would still be in the dark today. That's kind of what we have to take. The attitude is that we have to be persistent, and then we have to have uh, goals to to have, create opportunity or steps, baby steps to get up to that opportunity which is out there. And, and uh, you know, it's so uh, important to find things to do with our time and meaning in our life and, and, and that because a lot of people, I remember when I was in and out of hospital, Paul, who was uh, the recreation guy, he used to say, Bill, if you don't find something to do with your with your time, with your life, with you, you know what you're doing, you're going to be back in this hospital in and out all the time. And I found that to be very, very true in my observations of people with mental illness and the people who I work with. And so that's a little bit about the Bright Future Program. It's all about finding that opportunity, finding your skills, your strong points, and uh, and moving forward. 
Well, prior to getting sick, you were a professional diver. You had gotten a diving certificate, I believe, and you were... Yeah, well, yeah. what happened to Mary is that uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in uh, high school or anything like that, uh, and uh, didn't know what I wanted to do in school, and so I, I was always I always liked the water. I was always swimming in our river, and, and my book goes in that background, different things like that. But basically, what happened is that I saw a program on 60 Minutes about commercial diving in the North Sea. I turned around to my dad, and I said to my dad, uh, you know, and this was way before I was ill. This is when I was 18 years old. I said, Dad, you know what? I give me a year and I'm going to do that I, I told them and so it didn't take me a year but it took me two years but I went to college for underwater skills program and I became a commercial diver and then when I graduated I went over to Southeast Asia to Singapore where I got a job as a commercial diver on a drill ship uh, that was for my company was SeaTech International, who I worked for, and they were subcontracted by at the time Marathon Oil, who was doing exploratory drilling drilling in the South China Sea. So I got a chance to to do that and put my uh, underwater skills to work and and travel throughout Southeast Asia when I was 19 years old. So that was a, a great experience. And and so um, after you became ill, did you go back to it? No, you know what? Um, I, I uh, when I came back from uh, Asia, uh, I used to do some uh, sport diving and nothing, nothing much. Uh, but uh, after I got ill. Due to the negative symptoms, you know, those deficit symptoms, the depression and that, I didn't do uh, too much of anything. Uh, I was basically five years on the couch, um, um, you know, thinking of ways to kill myself or, 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 you know, just being very, very non-productive. And so I lost those years of diving, and uh, when, when I got back to... Uh, you know, mainstream life. Um, I just didn't take up the sport anymore. I was, I guess, too focused on work, I guess. <laughs> so you don't swim anymore either? I swim. Actually, I was in the pool last night. Uh, my family, uh, my wife and uh, uh, my son Dwight, who's 12, and my daughter Hannah, who's uh, 9, uh, we were in the pool last night uh, for a swim. So I was I was swimming last night. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, your magazine, and I'd like to talk a little bit about that for a few minutes, because I first saw your magazine a number of years ago when we were opening up Westbridge, and it was like the first thing I saw that really treated schizophrenia as something, there was a whole magazine about it, and it's so nice for our families to be able to come in and see, it's so normalized, I guess, I'm saying that in quotes, but you've made this topic something that's out in mainstream publication. I mean, it's very nicely put. It doesn't look like a, a research journal. I mean, it kind of looks like People Magazine on the front of it. And I just think that that's, that's a great contribution to, to folks that um, have schizophrenia. So thank you for that. Appreciate that, uh, Mary. Yeah, I mean, I try to uh, make it as practical as possible to give people real tips and to uh, really understand that. But, you know, the way we're going to, as you mentioned before, um, the magazine used to be called Schizophrenia Digest. And uh, we found that, uh, Mary, actually that the stigma of schizophrenia is very, very overpowering. And actually, I, I call it the, the great wall of stigma. And, uh, uh, you know, to, to be down the road, uh, you know, I'm going to be lobbying and different things like that to change the name of schizophrenia. It's a terrible name. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, schizophrenia, the name of it is miscoined. It, schizophrenia actually means um, split mind, uh, which 
people get the, you know, the, the Dr. Jekyllmans to hide on that when Bueller coined it, but it doesn't mean it's not split mind. It's split from reality. And so the whole idea of the word schizophrenia actually misnames the, the, the illness itself. And so, uh, I've, I, we've celebrated our, our 20 years in business with uh, SZ Magazine, and uh, my next 20 uh, years is going to be really lobbying and doing some advocacy and really, really trying to make an impact on, on the Great Wall of Stigma. What would you call it? You know what? We're, we're, we're <laughs> some people have suggested to me that we should call it McPhee syndrome because I was a textbook <laughs> case and schizophrenia is a syndrome. But you know what? We're going to put different options out there and we're going to make it kind of a, uh, a, uh, just awareness and suggest a few different names and see what happens. Like I know that in, uh, in Japan, they tried to call it integration disorder, which really I don't I really understand that. I don't know what that means. And then uh, I know that in the Netherlands, they're trying to, uh, there's a they're trying to uh, suggest change it to um uh, what is it uh, accessible accessibility syndrome so sss accessibility uh what is it Psychosis Accessibility Syndrome, I think. There, Yeah, I think it's Psychosis Accessibility Syndrome, but that, I can't even pronounce that as you just heard, so I, I kind of don't like that one myself, so we'll, we'll have to go back to the drawing board. But but we are uh, in planning into uh, doing a, a uh, uh, something about the name, changing the name, because, it, you know, I, I the stigma is just too great, Mary. I've been in this 20 years, and literally I don't see this, Great wall of stigma crumbling, and I really believe we need a name change. I, I would agree with that, and I think to underscore your point that, that schizophrenia is a series of, of syndromes and symptoms, and it's not the same in every person. So it's not like appendicitis where your white blood count goes up, you have severe pain, and everybody can diagnose that as appendicitis. Schizophrenia is much more complex. Absolutely. Even though there's there's certain common symptoms, but everybody it's a it's a, a, a an individual illness. Every there's no two cases alike, and no two people ever alike, and it's uh, everybody's different. And uh, you know, but the the, the the symptoms are are common to everybody. But everybody does not exactly have the same symptoms because it affects everybody individually. And so, um, how did you get from diving to publishing? <laughs> well, you know, it, it was funny. Um, I, I knew I, I try when I was uh, dealing with my illness, the negative symptoms. You know, the five years on the couch. I would say to people, I would say, you know, I would say to myself, boy, if things don't change, they're going to stay the same. If things don't change, they're going to stay the same. And it was about being on the couch. And I saw myself, you know. Boy, Bill, five years is going to turn into seven years, and seven years is going to turn into ten years. And that really scared me, Mary. It really scared me, and I said, well, you know what? I'm going to have to do something. And so what I did is I said, I'm going to prove to somebody that I can do something. And what I what I did is that when I, I remembered what a grade seven teacher said to me. She was... Uh, she, she was my teacher in grade seven, and I had poor penmanship. My arm. She said, "Bill, if you don't learn how to write properly in life, you'll never amount to anything." And what she meant about my writing was my poor penmanship. I mean, I I wrote terrible chicken scratch. So I said, "I'm going to prove to somebody that I can do something." And I phoned the Forty Literacy Foundation, and I said, "Listen, I know how to read and write, but I want to improve my penmanship." So can you send somebody over? So it ended up that Martha uh, Mason came over. She was a volunteer for the Literacy Foundation, and then okay. she was she was okay. there. 
And so with and getting Bill, active, well, socially active and everything break. like that, I Bill, got into... we need to take a quick break and we'll oh, sorry. finish the story right after the break. Okay. I'm sorry to interrupt. Okay, thank you. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Sit back. Close your eyes. Relax. Have you explored the possibilities of yoga? It transcends time, space, and culture. It has healing properties, and it can be done by anyone. Tune in to Yoga Begins Now with Mark and Heather Cherie Titus. Mark and Heather are the team behind the Sedona Yoga Festival. Our program will bring yoga out of the studio and into your life with lively discussions, special guests, and an in-depth exploration of modern yoga. Yoga Begins Now. Join us every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and we're talking with Bill McPhee, who is the founder and CEO of Magpie Media Mag uh, Incorporated, which publishes SD Magazine, which is a magazine um, to uh, provide information to people affected by schizophrenia. And he's also the author to Cry a Dry Tear. And before I had to so rudely interrupt you to go to the commercial break, um, can you finish your uh, your story? Sure, absolutely. So I don't know where that thought. But anyways, uh, Martha was a tutor, and she got uh, came over, and uh, she would uh, help me with my penmanship. And before too long, Martha learned more about uh, penmanship from or uh, schizophrenia from me than I did penmanship from her. But Martha took a, an interest in me, and she got me going back to school to take a photography course. And and I did I bought a camera and did the darkroom stuff and did the field trips, even though I still had that lack of joy and that emotional bluntness. Um, with the negative symptoms. And then the, the next thing I know is Martha's invited me, asked me if I wanted to be treasurer on on uh, 
uh, a group she had. She was the uh, leader for the seventh chairperson of the Scouts, Beavers, and Cubs, and they needed a treasurer. And so they, they'd say, you know, do you, do you want to come out and be our treasurer? And so I thought, oh, my God, I've got to do this. I've got to wash my hair and brush my teeth again, all these things that are difficult to do with negative symptoms. But I went to the, the meeting, and I met Peter, who eventually I started playing racquetball and squash with. I started to help. I met Martha's husband and her family, her children, and I started helping out with Cub Car and Apple Day and campouts. And what it did is it gave me a whole new social network of people who accepted me for who I was and not what I had. So now I had a bunch of friends, but what really went on is that now my friends, all my friends are working. And I tried to go to back, go back to work at previous times, and I did, did go back to work and, and different things like that. But things wouldn't work out. A lot of jobs I went through, a lot of things I had to try. But you know what? I knew I needed to create a spark. So I would, you know, if, if the bench the band was playing, the Legion band was playing at the band shell, I'd go listen to the music. If there somebody was having a travel log about a trip, I'd go and, and look at that. Uh, you know, whatever was in the community news section of the newspaper, I'd go to a bunch of the events. So anyways, what happened, to make a long story short, is that I used to go to the library. I got, I got interested in politics, and I'd go to the library where the town hall meetings were, were, were held, and uh, I got a book before the meeting started. I found a book called 101 Ways How to Start a Business with Little or No Capital. And I said, that's me. I have no capital. But there was a scenario in the, bo- in the book where before VCRs were invented, this woman watched three separate television stations, and she ended up watching the soap operas and writing a newsletter on the soap operas and selling it to her working friends. As soon as I read that, a light bulb came on, and I said, wow, listen, I said, I probably can't do a, a, a newsletter on the soap operas, but I could probably do something on schizophrenia. And that was in 1993 when I had the idea, and I ran with it. I took some entrepreneur courses. I took some how to start a small business course at the uh, local college, and uh, I just ran, and I developed a business plan and networked, and, and so that was 93, and after a year, I actually incorporated uh, my company in March of 1994, so that, that was how that began. <laughs> So do you publish other magazines besides SD? We do. I, I publish also a depression magazine called uh, Anchor. Uh, that's just a digital magazine. So we have the SZ magazine in Canada. We have the SZ magazine in, in the U.S. And then we also have them digitally. Uh, we have those digitally. And then uh, we have a digital Anchor magazine, which deals with uh, depression and anxiety. So how can people find your book, or and how can they access your magazine? Yeah, absolutely. If they go to our website, which is mentalwellnesstoday.com, once again, that's mentalwellnesstoday.com, and they'll find all that information, or they can phone the office, and the toll-free number is 866-672-3038. Once again, 866 3038. And it is a really good book. It's a, it's a quick read. I, I made, I, I wrote it so it's not very long. So you, people can probably read in about three or three and a half hours. And a lot of feedback that we've gotten is that people will, once they pick it up, it's very hard for them to put down. Um, it, it is a good book. I've, I've read it myself. I, we only have a couple minutes left. So I'm wondering what What's one thing you would like our audience to really understand about um, recovery and schizophrenia? 
Yeah, I think it's very important. First of all, I want to say that there is life after mental illness. You, you're not defined by your illness. There is life after mental illness. However, we have to take that first step. We have to say, I want help. I need, I want to improve the quality of my life. If a person can, if a person can say, I want to improve the quality of my life, we may still be going through self-esteem or confidence issues, but that's what, that's the starting point. And, uh, is to say, I want a better quality of life. And, and you can't say that for somebody else, that person has to say that for them. Uh, but, but, but again, you know, there is life after mental illness. Um, I want to thank you so much for um, taking the time to spend this hour with us today. And um, I, I, you're, you're a great um, spokesperson for people in recovery from schizophrenia, and what you're doing is so important. So I want to thank you. Thank you, Mary. I appreciate you having me on your show. Um, it's been a pleasure. Uh, have a good week, everyone. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. Brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.